So to quickly recap, Mark chapter 13, if you guys recall, it's getting close to the Passover time and the children of Israel are coming to Jerusalem and Jesus and his disciples are no different. They're, they're coming into town. And if you recall, Jesus had some of his disciples looking and kind of marveling at the skyline of Jerusalem, like the architecture, the buildings. And Jesus started uh, kind of putting a wet blanket on it. <laughs> he started talking about future end times and tribulations and that there would be persecutions and that uh, family, would, family members would even turn on, on each other. And uh, he, was, he was telling his disciples to take heed, to watch, and to pray. And so as we start with Mark chapter 14... Um, they're actually going to enter into that time of Passover, and they're going to celebrate that meal. This is a, a fairly large chapter, and we're not going to be able to cover uh, most of the verses. But I thought that we could hone in a little bit on some of, um, some of the key themes that I think have been prevalent throughout the book of Mark. And, and one of them has been the disciples have really struggled over uh, all these chapters with hard-heartedness. And they seem to not quite always be in tune with what the Lord is doing. And it's easy to, to, to look down on them, I guess, but uh, they didn't have the word of God like we have it. Uh, they didn't have the Holy Ghost like we have the Holy Ghost right now. And they're going through a time of transition where it's a shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So um, we're going to dive in and let's start. Uh, actually, not by looking at Mark chapter 14, but if you want to look up at, um, I thought I would start with um, actually a prophecy from Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, it says this, and this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And check this out, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it's easy again to look at the disciples as we're going to see verses that actually talk about this fulfillment of prophecy where when Jesus is arrested, the disciples are just going to flee. Um, but what the scripture is actually calling out is that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. If you uh, look at your handout, I've taken uh, a short sampling. I don't think that this is exhaustive, but you'll see two columns of, of bullets with words. And what, uh, what these are was I actually just went through the book of Mark, chapter 14, and looked at all of the ways that we're seeing uh, this prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah 53. And just look at some of these words. He was taken by craft. Uh, 
They were planning on putting him to death. He was betrayed. That, was, that word just like, just kept on surfacing. Jesus is betrayed. He's offend, uh, they were offended by him, uh, smited. He was denied. Uh, Judas, token of a kiss. You see this picture up here that I have. Uh, this is from La Sagrada de Familia, which is a cathedral in Barcelona. And this is a picture of Judas kissing Jesus as a token and, or a signal of this is the man that you need to arrest. Um, if you're wondering what that little square, uh, I think it's like cryptogram is, no matter which direction you count and add up the numbers, it comes out to 33, which is the age of Jesus, which is kind of cool. Uh, if, you know, if you're ever out in Barcelona just hanging out, uh, definitely recommend um, checking this out. But, um, you know, betrayed by a kiss, uh, spit on him. Uh, verse 65, they covered his face, they buffeted him, they struck him, they mocked him, you know. Prophesy, who struck, you know, if you're the son of God, you should be able to know who struck you, right? This is just in chapter 14. This is even like before he goes to Pilate, before he goes to the cross. So maybe we can for a second kind of imagine our worst day, <laughs> you know, like uh, like a pretty typical day, right, that that where, you know, bad day at work, uh, frustrating time with the kids, you know, and it's like what scripture says is that Christ went through all the same temptations that we did, but he was without sin. And we're going to see in in Mark chapter 14, Jesus's faithfulness to to really kind of persist to the cross, uh, even against what his own will was necessarily desiring. So let's, let's start with uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 2, Christ being targeted. Okay, so after two days was the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. So if, if you're not familiar, we'll talk a little bit just about the Passover, but the first point to make from these two passages or two verses is, is just this. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. And in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12, as the Lord continued to bring plagues onto the nation of Egypt for their hard heartedness and for their wickedness, the final plague was to actually bring judgment and to slay all the firstborn of everything living, firstborn male of everything living in the land of Egypt. And this is a picture of God's judgment over sin. But he had a way of escape for his children, and that was to take a lamb without blemish and to slay it and to take the blood and to put the blood over the doorpost. And when... God's judgment, his angel came and saw that blood over the the household, it would pass over and not not actually enact God's judgment, but instead there would be mercy. And the children of Israel were given a, a commandment that every year they were to remember this with a Passover feast. It is no coincidence that Jesus was beginning was be, was getting arrested 
was being put on trial, was being crucified during this time. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. And that's how we escape God's judgment. Is we don't find our confidence in our own righteousness, in our works. But trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming far off, when he was baptizing... He, when he saw Jesus, he says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And I mentioned this before, but Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And in the Passover, you're supposed to find a, a lamb without blemish. And that's a picture of Jesus' sinlessness. Now, we looked at just briefly some of those uh, words in the, the bulleted columns of just all of the ways that, that men betrayed God, betrayed Jesus and denied him and mocked him. But I, I do think it's important to take some time to, to look at actually... There was one faithful servant that really stood out in this chapter that showed a, a model that I think we can follow and learn from, and it's Mary of Bethany. So she adored Christ. So Mark 14, verse 3 says this, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation with them, and within themselves and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, Ye may do them good, but ye, but me, ye not have always. Sorry, but me, ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial to her. It's kind of incredible. Like in this moment, Jesus is like, hey, bookmark this, like, forever. <laughs> like, bookmark this moment. Pay attention. Now, again, the disciples and Jesus, they were often observing. You know, they observed the poor widow casting in the, the two pennies that she had, and Jesus was always using this as an example to teach. And here we have uh, Mary of Bethany. Now, Mary is the sister of Martha, and their brother is Lazarus. And Mark uh, skips over a lot of those details that you see in John about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But it's really interesting. When you start looking at Mary of Bethany, she really shows up three times in Scripture. And all three times, she is found at the feet of Jesus. All three times, she's found at the feet of Jesus. So... 
This is the key point. Sitting at the feet of Jesus will keep you in sync with the purposes of God. Sitting at the feet of Jesus will keep you in sync with the purposes of God. I thought about the, the, the song um, for, for every, uh, what is it? The birds sing it. It's like the Proverbs uh, or Ecclesiastes. Turn, turn, turn. Turn, yeah, yeah. There is a season, you know, a, a, time, to be, a time to be born, a time to die. Yeah. And it's, it's really easy to get very narrow in, in, our, uh, in our practice and trying to follow the Lord to be very rigid on what ministry should look like. And in this case, you have a poor, desperate woman who takes a year's worth of salary in, in ointment and basically just drops it on Jesus. And like, you know, in this five minute moment, you've got a year's salary gone, gone down the drain. And Judas, of course, because he's, he's a thief and he actually is, is in love with money, he's got He's got skepticism on this. He's got opinions about this ministry. Um, but it, actually, the scriptures say that all of the disciples were, were also questioning this. So just a couple of things about Mary. Uh, the first one is when uh, Jesus is sitting at, uh, in their house. And you know the story of Mary and Martha. Martha is, Martha is working and trying to make sure that the logistics are being taken care of hospitality. Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it says that she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. And Jesus said, this one thing that she's done will not be taken from her. And this, I hope this never gets old, but man, we have to fight to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word every day. And then when Lazarus died, Jesus was coming and Martha runs to Jesus and kind of brings some accusations. Like, if you, could, if you would have been here, he would still be alive. And Jesus deals with her very gently and, um, and helps her to see that he's the resurrection and the life. But then he sends her back to call Mary. And what you see is that Mary is sitting and waiting. Her sister took off and ran, ran to the Lord, but... But Mary's just sitting and waiting for God's calling. And when God called, she answered and she came in haste. And again, sometimes we, I think, presumptively try to run to where we think God is or where Jesus is, and we're trying to do things for him. A lot of times we're accusational. And in this, this moment of grief, of her brother dying, and in this, this moment of, maybe I'd even say trauma, She's sitting there waiting on the Lord. And as soon as the Lord calls her, she gets up in haste. She runs to him and she falls at his feet. She falls at his feet in brokenness. And this actually moves our Lord Jesus to weep. Like the, and it's like an incredible heart pull um, by Mary, again, at the feet of Jesus. And then this example, she's, she's, she's uh, anointing him for his burial She's anointing his head. Um, if you look at the other, at John 12, 1 through 8, you find out that not only did she anoint his head, but she also anointed his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. And this is a picture of extravagant and abandoned worship. Extravagant and abandoned worship. How's your worship life? 
What does it look like? Um, you know, for me, I've, I've been convicted because my worship life often looks like a public worship life. You know, uh, I, I help with, with the praise team and, and that, that is a form of worship. But am I, is my heart crying out those same things when it's just me and the Lord? Or am I doing this out of ritual or habit or out of form of religion? How's our worship and how does it compare to Mary's? Now we mentioned this, but Mary is, is probably one of the only positive examples in Mark 14 of being in tune with, with what God was doing at this time. Jesus was headed to the cross. He had alluded to this so many times and she seems in tune with it and she's, she's just unashamedly worshiping the Lord. Now, we're going to contrast that with the disciples, okay? So criticizing the ministry of the faithful will get you out of sync with the purposes of God. Criticizing ministry of the faithful will get you out of sync with the purposes of God. And I think there's a couple of things to glean from this passage just about the disciples and Judas at this moment, The first one is that it talks about their indignation and murmuring against a saint, okay? They're seeing Mary's form of ministry, her serving the Lord, and they're like murmuring against it, and there's like indignation in their hearts. We got to watch out for this, and I think it's very easy to look at, at the outside looking in at what somebody else is doing for the Lord and to, to be very critical if it doesn't fit your preferences or your box of what you think ministry should look like. There was a lot better reasons why we could use that year's wages than just to, to waste a bunch of cologne on somebody. We could have fed the, like, we could have fed the poor for, like, think how many poor people we could have served with that. Um, the children of Israel uh, were guilty of this. And in Exodus, as the Lord has pulling them out of slavery. And he's actually supernaturally keeping their shoes on their feet and feeding them bread from heaven. And they're murmuring and they're like, man, it would be better if we were back in Egypt than than to keep eating this bread. And what we see in Exodus 16 is that God says this uh, to the children of Israel as they are murmuring against Moses and what God is doing. He says, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Moses is saying this, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. I debated on if I should should show you this, okay? Um, But I I just want to be transparent, and I hope you can, like, learn from it. Um, This is a a music artist named Ethan C. Davis, okay? And um, he used to be an electronic dance uh, music uh, musician, like, and he toured the world and he was living in the world. Um, his testimony is like on the internet, like where he's sharing it, like from his own mouth. So this is, you know, not like uncovering something that, but, um, he was into drugs and yeah, I mean, pretty good looking guy, right? I, I can admit that. Um, uh, he, you know, I'm sure like he had plenty of women uh, within reach uh, as he was touring the world and he was completely empty. And 
he, uh, he got saved. And um, he goes to a church that's probably a lot different than ours in terms of values and, and what ministry and church and doctrine look like. Um, and he put out an album, and it was called If I'm Honest. And when you listen to it, it's like kind of raw. And it's, it's, uh, it's a little cheesy at times. This is just my own assessment. Um, but he's still like grappling with his flesh. And I was very critical as I listened to this album of just like, well, that's not like, that's not, that's, that's, that's very fleshly. That's very immature, right? But I didn't know his testimony at the time. And then uh, he just put out another album. And um, the album has what I would call like, uh, sometimes I refer to it as Jesus is my boyfriend music, <laughs> right? Where it's like, you could just like remove the word Jesus and put like baby and like, and, and it would be like a love song to somebody like just kind of like very like intimate. And again, I kind of had a critical spirit of this very, very catchy music, but like, just kind of like, ah, oh, that's not, you know, that's so like squishy. And, you know, the Lord convicted me about this. Like, listen to this lyric that he said, that he wrote. He said, I just want to sit at your feet and say how much I love you. You, you, because you're all that I need, and this is what you paid for when you died for me. Him being able to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I was just convicted about that, because I'm like, who am I to criticize? Like, the Lord delivered him from sin and death, and he's now getting mature. You know, he's growing, he's still young in the Lord, but just like Mary, he's got whatever whatever tokens God has given him, and he's giving it all to the Lord to serve the church. Um, and so, like, I just, I, I share that as an example of, like, where the Lord's convicting me. But I guess my question would just kind of be, like, are you more like Mary of, of just being abandoned, or are you more like the disciples where you're, you're looking around with a critical eye and, and, and you've got your opinions, but, but you yourself are not willing to, to just lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. So it's something we have to be careful about. Um, the other thing to just watch out for besides indignation and murmuring is just the love of money. And we won't spend much time here, but 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. We saw this in Mark 10. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And uh, I don't know if this was like the starting point for, for Judas of why he betrayed the Lord, but we know that he was a thief and that he was obsessed with money. And that's something that I think we need to be careful about. That it has to be a watch out for us. And you don't have to have a lot of money to be obsessed with money. You don't have to have a lot of money to love money. So it's something that we need to be careful about. And then this was just another detail that is probably less out of the book of Mark and, and more in uh, that you would see in the book of Luke. And I didn't, put the, I didn't put the passages in here. But in Luke 22, what you see is that there was a, a, a point in time when Satan actually entered into Judas. Okay? Now, as a, as a 
New Testament Christian, you do not have to worry about this. Okay? We are sealed with the Holy Spirit after we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Okay? You don't have to worry about this. But it's interesting, right after Judas gets filled with Satan, Satan possesses him, just uh, 10 or 20 uh, verses later, Jesus is talking to Peter and says, Satan tried to sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you. And I think often, maybe we don't acknowledge how present Satan is to just completely throw our our marriages down the drain and, and divide us as a church and as a people. And Satan was in the midst of them, just tearing at whoever he could get a hold of. Like, like Pastor Mitch said, Satan does not fight fair. And uh, imagine if Peter would have been sifted by Satan. Like, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it was after he cut off that, that dude's ear in the garden. Like, maybe he would have been slayed. I don't know. But, like, imagine Acts without Peter. Like, the book of Acts without Peter. And so we have to be very conscious that um, there's internal things that we need to watch out for, but we also have to recognize that there's an adversary, the devil, and he's like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. We've got to be mindful of that. Now, after Jesus was anointed, uh, Jesus uh, was then betrayed by, by Judas. And um, Judas went to the priest and told him, this is, this is the game plan, and they promised him money. And then Jesus had a time with his disciples where um, he introduced communion. This is my body. This is my blood shed for you. Uh, many of us are familiar with these passages, and we're not going to dive deep into them. But it is important to, to just note that Jesus introduces the, the idea of communion in this moment, but also he starts talking about the New Testament. And this is when he starts talking about the New Testament. He says, and he said unto them, this is my blood, this is verse, uh, Mark 14, verse 24. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. So just a reminder, the Testament doesn't start until the death of the testator. We learned that in Hebrews 9, 16. So even though Jesus is talking about the New Testament, he actually hadn't been crucified yet on the cross. So just like Sam was teaching last week, this is a transition period, okay? This is a transition period. So Jesus is talking about the future, but we're starting to see some of these things like start to take shape. Now we're going to look at one more passage, and this is Christ forsaken. Uh, So if you want to turn to Mark 14, and we're going to look at uh, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, so Jesus and his disciples, okay, they just had, uh, they, pa- they, they celebrated the Passover uh, feast. <clears throat> they sing a hymn together, and then they went into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall, uh, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. 
So notice that Jesus, again, this isn't the first time. Jesus is talking about his death and his resurrection. This wasn't the first time they're saying it, or he's saying it. But notice Peter here, verse 29. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Peter has a habit of saying, Not so, Lord. Right? And again, it's easy to beat up the disciples um, and look down on them. But how often does the Lord warn us about what's going to happen? And we're like, Not so, Lord. Not going to eat that cupcake <laughs> while everybody's still awake in the house, um, <laughs> you know, but it's like, they, but notice that it says that it wasn't just Peter. Likewise, also, they said they all verse 32, and they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he saith unto his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with them Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto, de unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And keep in mind, they had just said, like, we're going to stand with you till the end. Until like, it's like 11 o'clock at night and it's our bedtime, right? Um, <clears throat> verse 35, And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. And we got to take note of this because this has to be our playbook every day. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what, what thou wilt, Lord. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, his disciples. They're slumbering. And he saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they that what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep now and take your rest. It is enough. The hours come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. He that betrayeth me is at hand. And how often, again, does the Lord warn us and we're like, Lord, we're going to be with you in this. We're going to be with you in this until, you know, my coworker tells me, like, ask me about my faith. And then, you know, I'm just going to kind of play it cool. <clears throat> Despite the best of intentions, we will always fail the Lord in the flesh. Despite the best of intentions, we will always fail the Lord in the flesh. Romans 8, 8 says this, so then they that are in, in the flesh cannot please God. This passage is talking about the difference between walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And it says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh represents your old man before Christ. And the flesh is still around, unfortunately. But we still have a flesh, 
and it still has a very strong voice in our life and a very strong influence. And we're called to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to the old man. And we have to allow God's spirit to fill us. Uh, I am uh, so well-intentioned, <laughs> like, in, in so many areas of my life. Um, I, like, I wanted to be the fix-it guy, like, when we first got, like, our, our house, our fixer-upper house. Um, I once had a scooter, and I wanted to, like, be able to work on it in the garage and kind of be that dad that, I don't know, works on a scooter in his garage and impresses the kids as he gets it to work and stuff like that. I found out very quickly that like, even though I have the best in intentions with that, it's always like an epic failure. Um, my wife is actually the one that's like super handy. Uh, you've probably seen her in her coveralls. Um, she's like, like she knows how to get things done. Um, she, she's got that like wisdom and planning um, and, and just insight in that. But um, I, I was just thinking about like our, our attempts to please the Lord in, in the flesh, right? And like this is like, to me, this is probably like just such a good example of like, Lord, I'm going to stay with you till the end. Lord, I'm going to help you build your house. And it's like, you know, because I'm smart and I'm strong and people like me. Um, but like this is an example of just how our flesh delivers on the promises to the Lord. I don't even understand this, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, just one more. One of my favorite uh, Google searches is epic failures of taxidermy. And, and I, I wanted to show you like 20 because like these like literally like make me laugh out loud and cry. But like, again, it's like we're trying to like bring a pleasing offering to the Lord in the flesh like Cain, and like, this is what it's coming across, right? So, yeah. So, like, we just, we need to be careful about that. But, um, but as much as we have a bad example of the disciples failing to watch, failing to pray, failing to be circumspect in Jesus's, like, hardest hour of need, um, we see that Jesus gives us an example of how we can overcome the flesh. So despite the strength of the flesh, despite the pull of the flesh, submitting to the will of the Father for us in the Spirit will always bring life. And like for Jesus, this was drinking the cup of God's wrath to death. But what did that produce? It produced life for us. And the same holds true for us as we say, not our will, Lord, but yours be done. There will be things that the Lord will lead us to that might actually not, like, might not be comfortable. It might not feel like the life that we want. But what it will do is God will use it to bear fruit in our lives and the lives of people around us. Romans eight thirty six. We're not going to read this whole thing, but just look at the, the, the very end. Because again, this is talking about sowing to the flesh versus sowing to the spirit. When we sow to the flesh, when we're carnally minded, it's death. But when we sow to the spirit, when we're spiritually minded, it's life and it's peace. And it brings that. 
So we need to take heed, and we can't do that in the flesh. We've got to be able to, to like Jesus, in the hardest of times when our flesh just wants to escape, be like, Lord, like not, not our will, but yours be done. And the last passages here, the last sections of, of Mark, um, we're going to see that uh, Christ is actually rejected by his own people, that he's going to get arrested. And the children of Israel and the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, that they're actually going to bring false accusations against him. And they're going to uh, charge him as guilty for blasphemy against God. And then the last section, Peter has really an opportunity to um, testify as Jesus is on trial just afar off, and yet uh, he can't even claim the name of Jesus when a little girl is saying, like, hey, weren't you like a Gal like aren't you weren't you with him? Weren't you a Galilean like him? <clears throat> and so um, you know, this chapter is very sober and um, and ultimately, we know where this is leading to, Jesus Christ on the cross. And just a couple of things that I'd like for us to just think about and, and be, be prayerful about. And again, the first one would just be this. Are, do you find yourself being more like Mary or more like the disciples in regards to ministry? Are you actually putting yourself into ministry and pouring yourself out at the feet of the Lord? Or are you more kind of sitting on on the sidelines and critiquing and you have like strong opinions about like how things should have been done differently. Two very different heart postures. One, I believe like gets your heart in sync and in tune with the Lord and what he's doing. And the other one uh, actually brings division and, and his partnership with Satan, to be honest with what Satan wants to accomplish. The second one, um, in, in the moments of need, in, in your hardest times, um, are you giving into the flesh like the disciples? Are you, are you giving into the comforts of sleep and slumber? You know, th- those are spiritual pictures. That's a physical picture of something spiritual. Or are you like Jesus going to the Father and even if it, even if it kills you saying, not my will, but yours be done. And again, Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned away, every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Have you gone astray from the Lord? Um, this is, you know, I don't, I don't want this to feel like a, a session of, you know, beating everybody up. Um, because what Scripture says is we all failed the Lord. And the beauty is that God knew we would fail him. And he didn't give up on us. God knew that the disciples were going to fail him and abandon him. And he didn't give up on us. God knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. And yet he still pursued him, restored him in ministry, and used him mightily to bring many to the Lord. And so if you're feeling conviction, or even if you're feeling like despair, as you think about the comparisons of like, you know, am I more like the disciples or more like Mary? Am I more like the disciples or more like Jesus? Know that God loves you. God has not given up on you. 
And he wants to empower you to be able to live like a, a valiant life in the Lord. So let's pray. And if your heart is pricked in any way, um, please talk to somebody. Uh, talk to one of the leaders in this church. Talk to somebody next to you. And let's get, you know, get the darkness into the light. That's how the Lord um, can start ministering, uh, is when others know how to pray for you and support you, and they can minister to you at the Word of God. All right? Lord Jesus, man, what can we say? Um, we've, we've failed you in so many ways, and um, we've been critical uh, when we should have been diving in, and um, we've been asleep when uh, we should have been watching. Um, but Lord, you are faithful, and that's who we look to. Um, take our eyes off of ourselves and, and help us to see the one that um, overcomes uh, sin and death, who brings light where there's darkness. And Lord, would you transform us? Transform us as individuals, transform us as a class, knit our hearts to you, knit our hearts to each other. Help us to be um, conformed to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.